we are focusing today on our vision, what I believe God has given as uh, the heartbeat of our church for this year, 2023. So we call this Vision Sunday, and um, it's not something that we take lightly or that we uh, go online and try to find themes for a new year. It's not a motivational speech. It's what we believe that God has given us to be able to set as the direction and the focus of our church for 2023. And so I turn your attention this morning to the book of John, the Gospel of John in the New Testament. And we look at uh, chapter 8 and verse 31. While you're turning there, I want to say to Sister Breadwood that we uh, are thinking about you this week. And and, uh, I know your husband transitioned to a better place this week. And we just want you to know that we love you at East Wind. And we're going to put our arms of love around you and and, uh, celebrate his life good husband for many years and we love you and we'll be praying for you and thinking about you god bless you would you just uh give sister breadwood a maybe a hand clap of appreciation love and appreciation such great great people have been members here for many many years and uh john chapter 8 and verse 31 we're going to be uh, talking a little bit about how we can minister to one another in this year of 2023. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This is an incredible verse. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. I mean, they literally said this at the time that the Romans were occupying their land. We'd never be in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin. In other words, everybody's in bondage because everybody deals with sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever. Now he's talking about the house here being the flesh, the body. The servant being who we are, our spirit. Abideth not in the house forever, but the Son abideth ever. The Son of Son of God. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Oh, there's only one thing that brings true freedom in this world, ladies and gentlemen. And that is the Spirit of God. The Son of God. And so we want to speak this morning on this subject, which will also be our theme for this year, Set Free in 23. Would you say that with me today? Set Free in 23. God bless you. You may be seated and thank you for standing honor the reading of the Word of God. I'm so glad the worship team sang that song. Maybe that'll be our theme song this year. But I'm so thankful for what I believe... God is going to help us to see this year. I have had in my mind and my heart over the past few weeks this reoccurring vision and dream that the church is a city that is set on a hill and that we should be a salvation station. We should be a light in this community that when people come into those doors, they can feel a weight lifted and they can feel the freedom of God's presence and God's spirit. There's a lot of things in life that bring bondage. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering. 
But there is a God that desires for every one of us to be set free. And one of the things that we have realized coming out of uh, this pandemic, um, it's revealed a lot of pain and suffering that people endure sometimes silently. Rather than being delivered, they just deal with it. Maybe because they don't know how to be delivered. Maybe because they don't know the path out of the woods, how to get free. But for whatever reason, people, all of us, our family members, neighbors, co-workers, they deal with constant uh, chains, emotional, mental, uh, social, psychological, spiritual. It goes on and on. There are chains. There is bondage. But we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the remedy. We have the answer. And I truly believe with all of my heart that it is not the will of God for people to live in bondage. For people to live in captivity. God desires for every man, woman, boy and girl to be set free. Free to be able to worship God. Free to be able to praise Him. Free to be able to lift our hands unto Him. Free to be able to love our fellow man as ourselves. Free to live spiritually, emotionally, mentally, uh, uh, psychologically, however you want to describe it. To be able to know, hallelujah, every day when we get up, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm not going to spend my life living, hallelujah, in bondage to things that are out of my control. I'm going to get up every day and say, Lord, I thank you. You've given me an opportunity to be free. You've given me an opportunity to be a, 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 a vessel of honor, to be an instrument of praise, hallelujah, to glorify you. And I'm going to take advantage of it. And I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. So one of the things that we're going to do this year is we're going to tackle uh, different subjects. Last year, our theme was two by two and 22. And we talked about uh, everybody partnering up with someone and being able to be a witness, and we sort of let that develop organically. Uh, we encouraged people, but we didn't set programs in place to sort of steer that. But this year will be a little bit different. We're going to be uh, talking about these different subjects. We're going to be trying to put uh, different uh, ministries in place that will help to accomplish these things. Uh, one of the areas that we're going to be addressing is freedom from fear. Freedom from fear. This, again, is something that we have seen in the last two and a half years, how fear can totally immobilize people. Fear can totally make you incapacitated or you can't hardly move because fear is such a taskmaster. It's such a, a, a dictator, as it were. And uh, it is, sometimes it's not logical. Uh, sometimes we, uh, we can't understand. But, you know, when a person's in fear, they're in fear. And you can't shame fear out of somebody. You can't say, oh, you shouldn't be fearful. And they're like, oh, okay, I'm not fearful anymore. No, sometimes it has to be a spiritual deliverance. To God to help you to take that fear uh, out of your mind, out of your spirit. And there is a, a deliverance that God wants to give each and every one of us from fear. When we study these different things, we're going to be looking at the life of David. And David is one that reveals a lot of the challenges that we face in our own humanity, even though you know, you would look at him and think he was highly successful as he was, a very powerful king. Uh, but he started out having to learn how to deal with fear. His greatest challenges early on were fear. The fear of bears and lions and 
giants and jealous kings. He had to capture the fear of his own heart. And so we read how he dealt with that. In Psalms chapter 23 and verse 4, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. He's saying, I've had some dark days. I've had times when I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I wasn't dead yet, but I was in the shadow of it. It was close by. It was near. But here is what I learned. Here's how I can live without fear. For thou art with me. We got to get a revelation, ladies and gentlemen, that God is with us. We're not just living in individual silos. We're not just trying to get through life on our own. There is a God that is there for you. He is with you. He's got your back. He's directing your steps. He's on your side. God is with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. We talked about this a few months ago, but a rod and a staff has different purposes. A staff was for guiding and getting them rescuing, but the rod was for correction many times. And so we understand that when the Lord loves us, He admonishes us. He corrects us sometimes. But guess what? That takes fear out of it. Just like a parent that's not afraid to discipline their child will raise a child that's not fearful. You know why? Because love is communicated even through the rod and the staff. It's communicated through love. It's communicated through discipline, through caring and being able to love. And so when the Lord, as our Heavenly Father, sometimes He admonishes us through the Word of God. Sometimes He corrects us and disciplines us through the Word of God. But guess what that does? That makes us a less fearful person. Because we know we're not just down here trying to get through life on our own. We're not just some mistake. We're not just believing in some cosmic force beyond the Milky Way. We know that He is our Heavenly Father. That we're not here by accident. That we're not just another number. That we're not just marking time. But that God, hallelujah, is on my side. He's got a destiny. He's created me with purpose. He has got a reason why I'm here. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. If the enemy can get his way, he'd like for you to think you're all on your own and God doesn't care about you. Don't buy into that lie. He cares about you. God is right by your side. Psalms 27.1, he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Now, 27 is interesting because, Psalms 27, because he talks now about how it's sometimes people that make, not always situations, sometimes it's people that bring fear. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though in host, well, it's a host, a whole bunch of people. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Oh, hallelujah. What is the this? His relationship with God. One of the things that David, and we're going to get more into this as we study fear throughout the next few weeks. But one of the things that David did was he learned, he moved his fear from things that he could not control to fear of things that he could control. That was so profound, you're just having to think about it, aren't you? <laughs> he moved his fear from things you can't control. So many times people live in fear of things you can't control. You can't live your life in fear that you're going to get cancer tomorrow. You can't live your life in fear that the Russians are going to invade tomorrow or whatever. Some people live their whole life in fear. You can't live in fear of things you can't control. 
But oh, you can live in fear of things you can control. David said, I'm going to learn to fear the Lord. Now, I know that word fear, it's being translated from holy reverence. But there was also an element there that, that kind of causes it to sideswipe with the word fear as we know it in the English language. That gives us a, a weight of the responsibility of it. Oh, I'm going to say, God, I fear you, so I'm going to follow your word. I, I understand, I, I take the responsibility that if I violate biblical precepts and concepts that there's going to be consequences to that so i fear the lord i fear him enough to know that i have a responsibility to worship god and so i can put that in my life i can have a choice in that i can make up my mind that i'm going to live a disciplined life i can make up in my mind that i'm going to come to the house of god on sunday like you did and i'm going to lift up my hands and i'm going to say lord this is the day that the lord has made i'm not going to fear things that are out there that are not beyond my help I, i can't live in fear of getting in a car and going out on the highway and getting in a wreck. I I can't live in fear that if I get on an airplane, it's going to crash and I'm going to die. I'm going to live in fear of God. If I live in fear of God, everything else will take care of itself. I remember Dr. Myers, if you don't mind me sharing this, Dr. Myers, you you taught and preached about it even here in this church, but there was a time when my uh, niece was uh, getting married over in Orlando area and and uh, my mom was uh, helping with that and getting all the stuff together. And she fell in the motel room and, and uh, fractured her, uh, was it pelvis? And, and she fractured her, her pelvis. And so we got her to the doctor and they can't do anything with it. They just, you know, have to kind of immobilize her for a while. But in the process of, of that healing itself, she started becoming uh, very fearful. Her blood pressure would go up and she became very fearful that she was going to uh, have a stroke because her blood pressure was going high. And, and so she called me in the middle of the night and she'd say, David, you got to take me to the emergency room. So I'd take her to the emergency room and they'd try to help her. And then she'd reach out and my sister would try to help her and my dad would try to help her. And, and she just was dealing with all this fear. The only thing they need to do with fear is just keep giving you more and more medicine. And they give you this for fear and give you that. Well, you don't have to. You can do this and check your blood pressure and so this and that. And then she'd have the different pills all lined up. I got to take that one. I got to do it every two hours. And I mean, everything was, and then boom, boom, boom. And I got to do this and that and just fear. And they didn't know what to do with her. We didn't know what to do with her. And she was in and out, back and forth, so forth. And she's like, here I am. I'm a doctor. I went to school. I know you can't. I know this is illogical. I know it's not rational, but I'm still dealing with fear. And so everybody would try to help her. We'd try to help. We didn't know what to do with her. And she said, I just had to start praying the promises of the Word of God. And I just got into the Word. And I just started saying, Lord, I'm going to read the promises of your Word. And I remember she couldn't even drive. I'm telling you, fear will totally immobilize you. This is a lady who's been in the church all of her life since she was 17, 18 years old and married a pastor's wife and, and, and raised my sister and I. And she understands all this. You know, you know, sometimes we're dealing with this human nature, folks, and you just get overwhelmed. It doesn't mean you're less of a Christian. It doesn't mean you're backslid. It doesn't mean you're living in sin. You're just a human being. Oh, but we've got an advocate. We have got a mighty God. And we declare war on fear in 2023. We're not going to live in fear. We're going to be set free from fear of all kinds. Jesus. I remember we'd, we'd have to go up to Pensacola because my dad's mother, up in her high 90s, was in the latter part of her life. And they'd call the family. And we'd go in there. And my mom was still dealing with this. And... 
she would go in the room there and my grandmother and she could only stay for a little bit and she'd have to leave and she'd have to go to the motel and, and my dad and I and my sister and everybody would try to help Sister Lizette Graber Brother Tim she's such an angel I know she's with the Lord we had to say goodbye to her this year but I'll never forget how Lizette Graber was so good to my mom during that time and she would love her and spend time with her and go to the hospital and she was such an angel and I miss Sister Lizette. I know she's in heaven, but she was so kind to my mom during that time. She was more patient than I was. I'm just like, you just got to get over it, Mom. I don't know what to tell you. And Sister Lizette was so gracious and so kind. And um, I remember, I remember when it was like there was a switch that was just flipped. And my mom said, I was reading the promises in the Word of God. And she said, it was like the Lord just took a blanket and just wrapped a blanket around me. And it was like the Lord just said, I got you. And she said, I literally felt like a warm blanket just come over me. And she said, I stood up and I started praying and every fear left. Every fear left in a moment what medicine couldn't do, what doctors couldn't do. You've got to get a spiritual deliverance sometimes. You've got to have God to just come in and wrap His arms of love around you and say, you are my child. That's why Paul said in Romans, He has not given us the spirit of bondage again to fear. But he's given us the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, you got to get a revelation that you are a child of God. I am his child. If I live in this life, I'm going to be blessed. And if I die, it's gain. I'm going to win either way. Because God is for me. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Oh my goodness, I had so many fears as a kid. I don't even want to tell you all about them. I used to be afraid going over the causeway. Because... My family and I went out in a sailboat and the mask broke and there was a little place down behind the old O'Gallic library where you could rent sailboats and they had gone out with the evangelist and his wife and they had had so much fun they told us about it and my sister and I was like, we want to go. So they took us one Saturday and we went out there and the, the mask, my sister was scared to death the whole trip. She just knew something wasn't right and I wasn't helping I would blow up the little sandwich bags and then pop them just to scare and make it matters worse. And she's like, don't do that, David. Don't do that, David. And uh, sure enough, in the middle of the river, the mask of the boat breaks. We tip over. We all go down the water. I had gotten cold, so I had my dad's T-shirt on. My arms and knees were up in it. I went over the side and was going to the bottom of the river. In my mind, I still see how dirty the Indian River was. Fish that could hardly swim and... I can remember just dropping and all that image is still embedded in my brain. And my mom saw me go over and reached over and saved my life, picked me up and pulled me out of the water and pontoons of the catamaran sailboat were afloat and we just hung on to that until we were rescued. But after that, I mean, I didn't even want to go over the causeway. They're like, oh, no, this concrete bridge, we're just going to drive. I don't care. I don't even want to go over the causeway. I was scared to death to sleep by myself at night. I didn't want to sleep by myself. They didn't put, my parents are going to have a big mansion when they get to heaven. Just believe me when I tell you this. 
They didn't know what to do with little Davy. They're like, you've got to sleep in your room by yourself. You know, my sister was a teenager and she didn't want her little brother, you know, in her room. And so she would lock the door and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd go in there and pick the lock. And I'd crawl in. And I'd crawl in there and I'd get under the bed. There'd be like a spring on the side of my head with the Monopoly games and all that. And I'm under the bed. And they'd wake up and everybody's time to go to school. And where's David? And I don't know. David's asleep under Denise's bed. I mean, it's ridiculous. I had to get free from that. I mean, I finally was like, enough is enough. I'm 18 years old. I can't keep up. No, I wasn't 18. <laughs> I, they weren't 18. 15 or 16. No, no, that's not. But they're like, what, what are you afraid of? I'm like, I don't know. But, you know, when the lights all go out and it's dark and, you know, everything's kind of scary in there. And, and it's like, as soon as I go to sleep, as long as I'm awake, I'm fine. But as soon as I go to sleep, somebody's going to rob the house. Something's going to happen, and I'm going to be asleep. So we fear things that are out of our control. Just like that's an example of I was fearful of going to sleep, being unconscious, and then things happening that I wasn't in control of. That's where trusting God has to come in. But, you know, you don't know that when you're a little kid. And I got over it and got delivered from it, and I'm fine. And then I'm evangelizing. I'm 22 years old, and I go to preach up in northern... Alabama, a little city up there, Bolton, Alabama. The pastor's name was Kenny Rogers. I'll never forget. Kenny Rogers, not the one you're thinking of. But uh, his name was Kenny Rogers. And uh, he didn't sing. He worked at a funeral home. And uh, I didn't know that. I pulled into town, met him at the gas station. He said, you want to just stay with us? I said, yeah, that's fine. We went to the funeral home. He lived at the funeral home. His family lived at the funeral home. And he said, you just stay here with us? I said, okay. I thought, you know, we'll all stay together in some little apartment that's a part of the funeral home. No. I'm the evangelist. I have my own room, the formaldehyde room. They took me through, showed me all the caskets, showed me everything in the funeral home, then took me to my room. It was a cot and a slab and the formaldehyde machine. And uh, I said, this is where I'm going to be staying? And they said, yes. And I went, thank you, Jesus. I started praying immediately. All my fears from my past come rushing back. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. You're 22 years old. You've got to be a man. Oh, I said, is there anybody dead in here right now? They said, no. Was there anybody coming that you're expecting? Not that we know of. I said, okay. So I'm laying there at 11 o'clock. The formaldehyde machine looks like a monster. It's got tubes everywhere like this. I'm trying not to look at it. I'm praying. I'm like, come on. You're 21. You're 22 years old. You can do this. I think about calling my sister, seeing where she's at. <laughs> Thanks for being patient with me, Denise, all the years. Uh, this is no exaggeration. Two o'clock in the morning, the doors come flying open. They're bringing in a dead guy. I'm like, hello. They're like, who are you? I said, I'm the evangelist. They said, the what? I'm like, the evangelist. They're like, well, you, I'd suggest that you leave. You don't want to see this. I saw more than I wanted to before I got out of that room. But I finally got stuff and I'm running through. I don't know where I'm running through this funeral home. And I'm pulling on doors and I'm like, oh, God, help us. I'm calling, Brother Rogers! <laughs> 
I'm thinking about singing, you got to know when to hold him. Where do I? <laughs> I'm like, where do I? Where do I find Brother Rogers? I finally get on the door. It says apartment. and has this a little thing with the name. And I knock, 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 knock. And finally he comes to the door. He's half asleep. I said, they brought a dead guy where I was staying. And he's like, oh, yeah. And he's laughing. That happens sometimes. Well, just sleep on the couch. So I go over. I kind of try to fall asleep on the couch. But I don't sleep that much. I wake up. His kids are sitting at the dining room table, which is it's a very small apartment. It's right, right close by where I'm. And they're kind of eating cereal and snickering and laughing and looking over at the preacher. And I kind of open one eye and I'm like, that must be his kids. I hadn't met them before, but I was worried about them. And I told him, people would call. That's back in the old days when phones had cords and they attached to the wall and all that. People would call and they'd say, who? Oh, my dad? No, he's not here. He's dead. <laughs> and they would laugh. I'm like, my God, this place, I feel like I'm with the Adams family. This place is crazy. What in the world? So he got up. He said, you sleep okay? I said, not much. He said, do you notice the couch and the love seat matches? All the furniture is the same. It's got all the same upholstery. I said, no, I didn't notice, but that's great. He said, that's all made from material. We make our own caskets. All that's leftover material that we make our caskets. I said, does this city have a hotel? I'm afraid I'm going to wake up with a tag on my toe. Everybody deals with fear. They, had a, they hadn't had anybody receive the Holy Ghost in five years in that church. And so the first night, I thought, oh, Lord, I've just got to get out of town. This, there's so much death around here, I'm not going to be able to handle it all. And I told the pastor, I said, I think you've got a conflict of interest. One job, you're a pastor. The other job, you're a funeral home guy. You're trying to raise the dead at night, and you're trying to bury the dead during the day. It's just a conflict of interest. But we preached the first night, and this wonderful young lady came down to receive the Holy Ghost. And I thought, oh, this is going to be wonderful. God's going to fill her with the Holy Ghost. Except when she was praying for the Holy Ghost, there were people that would come. It was a very, very small church. But there was one man that was like some sort of a frustrated chiropractor because he would like try to adjust her neck and back while she was seeking for the Holy Ghost. And I was just like, what? This guy's going to kill her. It's like, ah, I'm like, she's going to get the Holy Ghost in self-defense just to... I told that guy, you go sit down. All of y'all sit down. I made everybody sit down. I, didn't, I was living in a funeral home. I didn't care if the whole place... I was hoping they would tell me to leave town. I said, all of y'all sit down. And it was just me and this young lady. I said, this young lady is going to receive the Holy Ghost. It's not going to be because any of y'all, because y'all are killing us. I said, it's God that gives the Holy Ghost. You can't force the Holy Ghost in somebody. What's the matter with you? <laughs> I'm a lot nicer than I used to be. So, <laughs> so I, I taught him about praying with people at the altar. And this young lady, very just sweet spirit, she just lifted her hands and said, Lord, I love you with all my heart. And she just started speaking in tongues and the Holy Ghost came all over her. It was so beautiful. The whole place started worshiping and shouting. Even before that week was over, six people had received the Holy Ghost. They hadn't had anybody get the Holy Ghost in five years. 
later on, we were at a minister's conference in Alexandria, Louisiana, and Brother Rogers came up and he said, hey, you want to come preach for me again? I said, do you still live in that funeral home? He said, no, the church has grown. We got people getting the Holy Ghost, people getting saved. He said, I don't work at the funeral home no more. I just work at the church. I said, that is so awesome. Let's do it. I never did. I never did go back. I still had the fear in my mind of that funeral home being out there. I said, God bless you. I'm so excited. I'm so happy for you. Not me. So many times we don't have a good explanation. We just know we're not comfortable with something. David learned, I've got to put my fear in something that I know I can control. I can worship God. I can serve God. I can live by biblical principles. Psalms 2.11, he said, serve the Lord with fear. And watch this. And rejoice with trembling. See, that doesn't seem like it makes sense, does it? Thank you for putting that up. Rejoice with trembling. I don't understand. Serve the Lord. Awesome. Wonderful. Fear. Not so awesome. Rejoice. Wonderful. Trembling. Not so awesome. How do those things come together? It seems like an oxymoron. Those things shouldn't come together. You know what he's saying? He said, I put all my fear. I put it in the Lord. I can rejoice because I've put all those things and I've given them to God. You've got to just give God all your fears. You've got to say, Lord, I'm going to put it all in your hands and I'm going to just rejoice because you're a great God. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know you hold tomorrow. So I'm one of your kids. I'm going to just say, bless the Lord at all times. Let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. I can rejoice even when I'm trembling. About a situation you or I may be facing. Psalm chapter 5 and verse 7. But as for me, this again is David, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Psalms 19.9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Psalms 25.14. The secret of the Lord. Here's the secret. He's saying there's a secret. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. Oh, I wish I could give you the study. I wish I had it available. There's a friend of mine, Clay Jackson, that's a doctor up in Tennessee, and he's done some mission trips with us. And he sent me just maybe three weeks ago, he sent me a study that they have done through the two and a half years. And the people that have handled this this uh, a pandemic the best have been people that are Christians, that are churchgoers. They said with all of the domestic abuse and spousal abuse and all the drug use and all of the challenges and counseling, all this that's had to happen over the last two and a half years, I know there's always been problems in society, but it seems like stuff bubbled to the surface during this pandemic. But they've done a study and they have found out they don't even know how to explain it. They just said, we have found a connection between mental health and people of faith. I mean, it's a medical study. They have come to the conclusion that there's something intangible. They can't put it under a microscope. They can't put it in a flow chart. They just know there's something about people that get up and get dressed and go to the house of God. They're just better off than everybody else. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. There's a secret with them that fear God. That reverence God. And He will show them. Look at this. You got 2514. Thank you. Man, you guys are amazing. 2514. Look at this. He will show them His covenant. He's got a covenant with us. But a lot of people don't realize it. 
They think, oh, that's just, you know, preaching power positive thinking. No, no. He will show it. You are in covenant agreement with God. God is going to honor his word. He's going to show that he is in covenant with you. And so you don't have to live in fear of circumstances out of your control. The secret is to fear the Lord. If you fear him, you won't fear anything else. I said, if you fear him, you won't fear anything else. That you're not in control of. But if you don't fear the Lord, you'll fear everything. It'll keep you in bondage. So the secret is, and we'll get into more of this, is to fear the Lord. Another area we want to talk about is to be free from foes. Foes. Not toes. Foes. Some people have a fear of toes, but I, I don't want to get into that. It's more complicated than that. Foes. What are foes? Sometimes we get consumed with adversarial relationships. And if we're not careful, they can consume your time, your energy, and eventually cost you your relationship with God. David talked a lot about his foes. He talked a lot about his enemies. And sometimes he made a distinction between the two of them. And sometimes when, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I read the Psalms, I don't know, how did David have so many enemies? Because it was obvious when he was young that people loved him and he was, you know, they, they saw him as being a, a, a man of honor and he killed Goliath and he was, people, and that's one reason why King Saul got so jealous of him was because he had such influence and, and people loved him and admired him. But boy, it's just this, look at Psalms 27 too. When the wicked, look at this, even mine enemies and my foes come upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. He there makes a distinction between enemies and foes. You say, well, who are the foes? In Psalms 30, when they're dedicating the house of David, the, the temple that he built, which was considered the tabernacle of praise, he wanted to build the big temple that his son Solomon built. But the Lord said, no, you've been a man of war and you've got blood on your hands and your son's going to do it. But David loved the Lord so much, he built a house of praise. And so when they were dedicating that, in Psalms 30, he mentions that the Lord has lifted him up and has made his foes to rejoice over him. In other words, the ones that he thought was against him were really for him. How did David have so many foes? Well, a lot of times it's just people that are jealous, people that are envious. Matthew 10.36 says, A man's foes shall be they of his own household. This is what's so difficult because, you know, it can be an enemy and you're like, an enemy is an enemy. We just stay on opposite sides of the room. But it's hard whenever it's someone of your own household. It's a relative. It's a spouse. It's a child. Somebody that's a part of the church. And you think, well, I just, I, they, they just don't like me. Well, maybe they do. Maybe they just don't know how to show it. You never know. I heard a wise man say this one time. People are not so much against you as they're for themselves. And as long as you're walking together, you're on the same team. But sometimes somebody wants to go a different direction and then you're like, well, what's the matter? I thought we were good friends. You can't take everything personal. Sometimes it's the foes that make things difficult. Those are the hardest of battles. But you've got to put it under the blood. You know, if, 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 if Joseph had lived with the bitterness all of his life of being betrayed by his brothers, he would have never been put in the place that God called him to when he was just a young boy and gave him that dream that one day, you know, the dream that he told his brothers, you know, all the other stars are bound down in the sun. I mean, even his mom and dad said, okay, Joseph, oh, you need to back off a little bit of all that. I don't know who you think you are. But God was preparing him for what he was going to use him for. 
His brothers didn't like it. They were jealous and they were envious of it. They sold him into slavery. He went into slavery. Potiphar's wife. I mean, you know Potiphar's wife. She like falsely accused him of rape. He got thrown into prison. But, you know, she's a heathen. And then the prisoners were supposed to help him out whenever they got called back to Pharaoh's palace and they forgot about him. But, you know, it's every man for himself. But you know it was in Joseph's spirit. He's a human being. His brothers betrayed him. Foes, that must have had to... And I think there was a lot that... Because even whenever his brothers finally had to come, and just like his dream was when he was a young man, and, and they had to kneel down, because everybody they had to come and get grain from Egypt, they had to all go to Joseph. And one day they all come, they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And you see the way he pulls himself aside, he starts to cry, he doesn't want to reveal, he does all these different tests. You tell me he had forgotten about all of that? Oh no, my friend, he hadn't forgotten about it. But you know what he had to learn? You gotta put it under the blood. You gotta give it to Jesus. You say, how do you know he did that? Because he told him, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He wasn't saying, hey, everything that you did, I forgive you. We were just all boys. We were all just crazy. Oh no, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I, I made up in my mind I was serving him. That's why you got to make up in your mind, I'm going to serve God, I'm going to love Him, and if God be for me, who can be against you? I think, I think David's own brothers were against him. They didn't like him going out there and acting like he's a hot shot. Just leave the bread and the cheese and go back to daddy. Who do you think you are? He's like, is there not a cause? You guys are taking it personal. I'm talking about a principle. Is there not a cause? He's defying the armies of the living God. You're the armies of the living God. I'm just talking about a discrepancy here that I see. But you're making all of us look bad. Sometimes some of those people you think you're friends with, you know why? They talk behind your back. Because you're trying to serve a God and you're making all them look bad. And they talk about going to their parties and all that stuff in the corners and the cubicles of the office. And you know you're being excluded. You know what? You ought to take that as a compliment. <laughs> you don't have to be mean. You don't have to be rude. But you ought not to let office politics dominate your mind, dominate your thinking. All you do when you come to the house of God is sit up like a big old blowed up toad frog because you're thinking about your boss and you're thinking about a co-worker and you're thinking about how you're going to get back at them this week or you're thinking about a neighbor or a family member. you got to give that all to God. Say, I've got to be free from all that stuff. I'm not going to focus all my time and attention on something that's out of my control. I can't control what somebody else thinks. I'm not going to live as a slave to public opinion. you got to make up in your mind. I'm going to serve God and if I'm the last man standing, I'm going to bless the Lord, oh my soul. Freedom from foes. We see later in life, David, he was attacked by his own children. It's, it's not an easy thing to get free from, but the Bible lays on a formula. We're going to get more into that. Here's another subject. Free from past failures. The enemy can. He wants to take a mistake you made 20 years ago and hold you in captivity. We're going to get free from that this year. David had to find freedom from the pain of his past failure. No doubt he was haunted for the remainder of his life from the decisions that he made to cover his sin with Bathsheba, the death of Uriah, one of his good men. One of his good men. Loyal. The only crime that Uriah had committed was to marry a beautiful woman. 
She's at home and he's on the battlefield fighting the battles for Israel. And the Bible said when kings went to battle, David stayed home. David should have been on the battlefield. But David was a human being. That's what I love about the Word of God. People in the Word of God that did great things are still human beings. They had challenges. David commits adultery with Bathsheba. And then to hide the sin, he, he tells Joab to put Uriah on the front lines. First he tried to bring Uriah back home, get him drunk, and get him to go in there and be with his wife for a couple of days before he goes back to the battlefield. So when the child's born, everybody will think it's his kid. But he's such an honorable man. He won't even go into his wife. He sleeps out in the street. Because he's got such a pure heart. David sends him to the battlefield. Sends a note, seals it, and gives it to Joab, his general. That's why I think he had trouble with Joab, because Joab knew all of David's skeletons. And he sends him on the battlefield and he dies fighting it. And the prophet Nathan comes to David and says, you think you've committed the perfect crime, don't you? But God sees everything. You took something that didn't belong to you. And you're going to pay. And the child dies. Now David's got the death of an innocent child and the death of an innocent man. And the blood is on his hands. What are you going to do with that, David? Don't you know the devil came to him every day and every night? Who do you think you are? You think you're a king? You think you're going to lead this nation in righteousness? You killed innocent people. You killed a baby boy. You killed a man who was a loyal general in your army. Who do you think you are? You think that David didn't deal with that? You think Paul didn't struggle with the fact that he held the coats of the executioners of Stephen, a young preacher, right out of Bible school, and they took rocks and bashed his brains out, and Paul hung onto their coats and cheered them on? You don't think he dealt with that every day? That's the thorn in his flesh. Three times he prayed and said, Lord, you got to take it out. And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. If Paul, if David dealt with that. Do you think we're exempt? We're human beings. But there is a promise in the word of God because Paul had to find that place. There is therefore now no condemnation. Romans 8.1 To them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. You've got to learn in your heart and in your mind. I can't just live from service to service. i got to walk in the Spirit on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday. i got to get up every day and say, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm asking you, Lord, to direct my steps. I've got to walk in your Spirit. And I do not believe it is the will of God. I know there's consequences for sin. But I do not believe it's the will of God for a child of God to live in bondage to the pain of past mistakes for the rest of their life. If the devil can, he will use something from your past to immobilize you so that you're never an effective witness for the rest of your life. Instead of saying, I am a child of God, I'm going to tell somebody, hey, I wasn't perfect either, but God forgave me. And I come into the house of God to worship Him. And I come into the house of the Lord to bless His holy name. Let me hurry. Free from destructive friendships. Free from destructive friendships. This is the opposite of adversarial relationships. These are people that we like. People that we enjoy their company. 
But we know that we're not right spiritually when we're with them. I said, we know we're not right spiritually when we're with them. I mentioned Joab before. David had a complicated relationship with Joab. Joab, his cousin, was the chief of his, of his uh, army. He was the man who had found the way into Jerusalem. Jerusalem was this walled city. They said, you'll never conquer it. We could have the lame and the blind defend this city of the army. But their relationship was complicated. In many ways, David loved him. He was a very effective general. That's why they built the most powerful army in the day at that time. And he respected Joab for who he was. But in many ways, their relationship was destructive. And here's why. Joab was an effective general, but he was not a spiritual man. He was not a spiritual man. He did not listen. He was so confident that he was not teachable. And to be teachable, you have to recognize that you don't have all the answers. There are people I've had in my life that I love, but I cannot be super close to them because they're not teachable. You have got to have a spirit that says, God, I need your help. I can't figure this out. I don't know the answer. And we can get so confident in our flesh that we leave God out of the equation. And if you're not careful, you can link up with people like that in your life and you'll see yourself drifting spiritually and you're like, what in the world? Why did I do that? What happened? And you'll realize you had been spending time with that individual. You've got to get free from those relationships. Those kind of relationships will absolutely destroy you. This is why David warned his son about Joab. David never could take Joab on, but he warned his son. He said, Solomon, watch Joab. And sure enough, Joab did what he thought he would do and Solomon had to take care of it. But here's the situation. There are relationships and these are even more difficult because we like these people these are people that have been in our life some of them for a long long time we like being around them and this can get very difficult but we just know we're not right when we're with them and it's a bondage it's a difficult situation but oh God's going to help us to get free from destructive relationships Uh, oh God's going to put the right people around you we're going to come together as a body of Christ uh, and we're going to say Lord uh, I want you to put people in my life uh, so that when I'm with them uh, I'm drawn closer to you Uh, I want to be more like you. I want to love you. I want to worship you. I want to serve you. I want people in my life that draw me closer to you, not further away. God's going to help us. We're going to get into that being free. Here's another thing. Free from, well, before I get into this next one, let me just say this. I told this to the first service. Man, I was so proud of those guys. I don't know how many people were here, 200 or so at 830? And I told him, I said, a few weeks, no, maybe even a few months ago, you lose track of time when you get old. I said, you know, for four years, we've been having two Sunday morning services, 8.30 and 10.30. And we started doing that whenever we started the rebuilding program and remodeling the seats and all that. We didn't have enough room, so we did two services. So it was just going to be temporary. And then we hung on to it because, well, because we liked it. Uh, we enjoyed the different opportunities, 8.30 and 10.30. And the music team, it's more for staff and everybody, but everybody was okay with it. And, and we had gone into this whole COVID season, and it gave people more of a chance to spread out. Um, if you wanted to be around people, you came at 10.30. If you didn't want to be around people, you came at 8.30. And so it gave people options. I'm just being honest, y'all. It gave people options. And so we, we stayed and hung on to it and all that. And and, uh, and people are always like, you have, you know, friends that pastor, they're like, you have 8.30 service, 10.30 service, and a Sunday night service? Most churches just have one service on Sunday. People come to preach for us. I'm like, we have three services. They're like, what are you all doing down there in Palm Bay? And <laughs> so <laughs> I just figured we'd always keep it that way. And a few months ago, 
the Lord just started putting in my heart, you know what? There's a need for unity. We've got to come together in unity. Unity is more important than convenience. And so I just was like, okay, Lord, how? I don't want to, you know, and I knew there were some challenges, you know, to uh, having the two services. We've never really had a good time when we could have our youth class. They tried to have one at 8.30, one at 9.30, one at 10.30. It never worked. The two services kind of messed up because we didn't have Sunday school anymore. Uh, new converts classes had to move to Wednesday night, which is more difficult for people. New converts are not committed to Wednesday night services yet. Well, most of the church is not committed to Wednesday night services as far as that goes. But as, I just sort of threw that one out there just for fun. <laughs> so, and so, you know, I said, you know, we'll just do new converts classes on Wednesday night because we moved all our teaching Wednesday nights. But that was, that was more difficult and, and uh we were praying together, my wife and I, at the end of this year, and we just felt a burden that we need to connect with our new people, our new converts. And I said, I want to teach our new converts class. And, and uh, she said, I'll help you. We'll teach it together. And so we're going to be taking that on as well. But here's what we're going to do. Starting the first Sunday in February. Everybody say February. February. Starting the first Sunday in February. We're not going to have an 830 service. We're only going to have a 1030 service. And here's what's so exciting to me. When I announced this this morning to the 830 service, I thought people would stand up and cuss out the preacher and run out the back door. I don't know. <laughs> they all applauded. I couldn't believe it. I thought they didn't come at 1030 because they didn't like all of y'all that come at 1030. <laughs> but... We're going, to, we're going to have a 9.30 service. Here's another thing. Bishop Myers will be able to teach on Sunday mornings at 9.30. So a lot of people that want to hear Bishop Myers teach, they don't drive at night. So they've been missing Wednesday night. So we're going to be able to have a youth class. We talked to the Sunday school. The Sunday school is excited about it. Uh, once a month, they're going to be able to come in and be a part of the main service. Uh, or uh, I think every three months, they're going to come in and sing. Anyhow, it's going to be... And then on top of it all... Did you feel the anointing, the energy, and the excitement of Christmas Day and New Year's Day when we only had one service? It was like the Lord just said, I told you! I told you! And I'm all dealing with fear. Well, what if we only do one service and all the people in the 830 service quit coming? This is what you deal with when you're a pastor. And the Lord's like, don't you think those people love me? They get up earlier than the 1030 crowd. That's a good point, God, good point. And it was like, when we talked with our department heads or talked with our staff, it was like, everybody's like, it's time, let's do it. So we're going to have a 9.30 Sunday school class. In the 9.30 Sunday school class, Bishop Breyer is going to teach from 9.30 to 10.15. And there's going to be 15 minutes break in between. Unless he goes over. He's the bishop. He can go over if he wants to. No? <laughs> 45 minutes is enough, he said, when you're 88, 45 minutes is enough. <laughs> Don't you love Bishop Mark? What a treasure we have in this church. We love you, Dad. You're an awesome man of God. I honor you. Thank you, Lord. I'm so thankful God has protected him all these years. His mind is sound and strong. I asked him one time, I said, Dad, you know, do you feel like you have quality of life? He said, Son, as long as I can teach the Word of God, I have quality of life. 
So if the adult class, study school, youth may run over, but there'll be a 15-minute transition time. And so starting the first weekend, because it can take a few weeks to get transition to it, I tell you what, the music team's happy. I don't know of anybody that's upset. If you're upset about it, come and talk to me after church because you'll be the only one that I know of <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but here's, here's the big thing. This is what I'm feeling in my spirit. We'll have Sunday school at 9.30. At 10.30, we're going to have one mass service. We're all going to come together. And here's what I'm excited about. We're going to all be able to minister to one another. I've had people tell me over the last couple of weeks when we had these two joint services on Christmas Day and New Year's Day, I didn't even know those people still went to our church. I thought they moved away, backslid, or got mad at the pastor a long time ago. I'm like, they've been coming. They've just been to the 830 service. They're like, I didn't even know they were still here. Folks, we need each other. I said, we need each other. And I tell you what, there's something powerful. When you bring all apostolic, you get everybody together in one service and everybody lifts their voice and everybody begins to praise the Lord. The preacher preaches better. The music is better. The worship from the audience is better. You know why? Because we can't get away from it. We are apostolics and we need each other. I need you and you need me. And for us to be set free in 2023, we've got to minister one to another. And I believe this is going to allow some of us to be able to minister to one another. We haven't had the opportunity to do in the past, but God's going to help us. Here's another area. Freedom from financial debt. I don't believe it's the will of God for God's children to live under the heavy weight of debt. You say, oh, pastor, just pray I'll get a raise because if I get a raise, I can get out of debt. No. I don't care if you make $3 million a week. If you spend $4 million a week, you're still going to be in debt. we got to get free from debt. The Bible makes it clear that the borrower is servant to the lender. It's not the will of God for the church to be in bondage to Truist Bank or Capital One or Wells Fargo or... TD Bank or whoever else is out there. I'm so glad the Lord put this on my heart some 10 years ago. And I said, we got to get free as debt-free as a church. And you know what, folks? We are debt-free. We own that land across the street. We don't owe a dime. We remodeled this church $1.5 million. We paid for it. We didn't borrow a dime. We own another campus down there. We don't owe a dime on it. You know why? Because we want to feel free when we come to the house of God. And God doesn't intend for you to have so much weight that when you come to the house of God, you can't even lift your hands because you don't know if your car is going to be repossessed or if you're going to be able to make your mortgage tomorrow. I'm going to tell you what. God's going to help us to be free from the weight of debt. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in that. Mm. I'm going to tell you what, David had financial issues. Early on in life, he was a fugitive. He lived from one meal to the next. He almost killed Nabal because he didn't have the finances to feed his own men. And when he helped protect Nabal's flocks, Nabal, a rich old man, so stingy and mean, he wouldn't even help him. David said, I'll take him out tonight. And Nabal was married to a wise woman, Abigail. And she came to David and she said, One day you're going to be king. And you don't need the stain of his blood on your hands. 
Oh, my friend, you've got to get around good, godly people that will help you. We're all flesh. We're all dealing with the impulses and the weaknesses of our flesh. But God has made us part of a body that we can draw strength from one another. Oh, David, he, man, he, he, there was a fugitive. I mean, he's running, living in caves. And he was delivered. Let me tell you when David was delivered. He wasn't delivered when he was made king. But he was delivered when he learned to worship the Lord through giving. And the more he gave away, the more he was blessed. I said, the more he gave away, the more he was blessed. When I started out preaching, I was convinced in my mind I'd never mention an offering. I, was, I didn't want to be Jim Baker. I knew that there was a stigma of preachers being money grubbers and all that stuff. I said, I won't ever. I said, God, I'll preach. I'm not going to ever mention money. I don't care if people want to give. They give. They don't give. I'm, but I'm not going to give there and ever ask for an all. I'm not going to do it. I was so full of pride. And the Lord beat me up one day and said, that's the plan that I have given to my people to bless them. And because of your pride, you won't mention it. I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I got up. I apologize. He gave me so much boldness. Some of you wish I didn't have so much boldness about giving but you know what i ain't preaching nothing but the bible the lord said this is how i'm going to bless you it'll be pressed down shaken together and running over i've never asked this church in 25 years of being senior pastor not one time have i ever asked for a dime for you to give to me but i'm going to tell you what when i said if you give god will bless you you've seen your families be blessed you've seen your houses be blessed you've seen your income triple you know why because it's in the bible and I don't apologize for preaching the word of God. I don't care what society says. I'm going to keep preaching the word of God. I don't care the Bible. They can, the, the culture gets so crazy. They, if you listen to culture, you'd be afraid to do it. You'd be afraid to preach against homosexuality. You'd be afraid to ever take up an offering. You'd be afraid to even breathe. I'd have to get up here and just become Norman Vincent Peale. And give you some power and positive thing. That's not what the Word of God is about. We've got to stay close to the Word of God. We've got to preach the plan of God. Let me, let me hurry quickly. What do I got? Six minutes. Free from frustration. So many times, folks, we live with frustration. It can be career frustration. It can be frustration with ourselves. See, frustration will make you feel stuck. And it'll create a sense of hopelessness. David dealt with this. He became so frustrated. He became so exasperated with Saul chasing him around. He and his men were hiding in a cave. Saul comes in there and sits down. They could have killed him. His men said, David, just let us do it, man. We'll, and they, they, they would have done it. They were killing machines. We just, Abishai, he said, I'll pin him to the ground. He won't move. He won't make another move. I'll pin him to the ground with my spear. David said, we're just going to cut a little bit off his garment. Let him know we could have. The next day, you can read about it in 1 Samuel 24. He's standing up there on the top of that ledge, and he's hollering out, Saul's out there all laid out, all the armies of Israel chasing him around. David says, I could have taken you out, Saul, but I didn't because I'm not your judge. And he calls him his father. Verse 11, moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand. I cut off the skirt of thy robe, killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand. And I have not sinned. I have not sinned against you. Yet thou huntest my soul to take it. 
The Lord judge between me and thee. You see, David said, this is going to be an issue between you and God. I'm not going to step in and take things into my own hands. And the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. Some of you get frustrated and you go to Facebook with it. You don't realize, but the devil is using you to cause disunity in the body. You need to stay off of Facebook. If you're frustrated, you need to take it to God in prayer. And if you think you can get a message to me in Facebook, I don't read Facebook. I go on Facebook and I post a picture of me killing a deer and then I get off. So if you want to communicate to me, you can make an appointment and come to the office. Don't put it on Facebook and spread all of your bitterness. You're not doing anybody harm except yourself. At, oh, I feel a little bit, I feel like that old preacher. I don't know if I'm really mad right now or just anointed, but it feels good. Sorry, I don't even know anybody that's on Facebook doing anything. I just felt that. Verse 13, as saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? Now here's where you see David's frustrated. After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? I could have taken you out, Saul. He still called him dad. He still called him father. I don't know if you've ever read the book by Gene Edwards called The Tale of Three Kings, but it's a powerful book about bitterness. Folks, don't ever let bitterness get in your heart. I said, here's another freedom we're going to get from in 2023. Freedom from footholds. You can get an offended spirit. And if you don't give it to the Lord right away, it'll turn into a foothold. The enemy's always trying to just get a foothold. And if he can get a foothold in your life, it's what he was always trying to do with David, just try to get a foothold. That foothold will turn into a stronghold. And so you can't let anything just metastasize in your spirit. You're dealing with bitter. I'm going to tell you what, you ought to read that book, The Tale of Three Kings. Gene Edwards says something in that book. I've never met Gene Edwards. But I tell you, he, say, he makes a profound statement. He said the reason that David was anointed when he was a young man, but the reason it took him so long to come to the throne was because the Lord wanted to make sure that all of Saul was out of him. Because Saul had been his mentor. And he didn't realize it. But he had a lot of Saul in him. And God said, I'm not putting another Saul on the throne. So if you've got to run for 12 years of your life in the wilderness and live in the cave like a wild dog, you're going to do it before you go to the throne because I'm not dealing with another Saul. You're going to have to get rid of all the Saul in you. Oh, some things, folks, you're dealing with and you don't even realize it. I mean, you, there was somebody in your life, maybe it was a bad parent, maybe it was a caregiver, and you said, I'm never going to be like that. But you've got some of them in you and it frustrates you. Guess what? God's going to set us free. Because more than anything else, you know what? God wants us to be like Him. He's given us a model. He has given us an example. We can be set free by the blood of Jesus. Would you stand to your feet? I wish I had time to go into all of these, but God's going to help us. I said, God, God's going to help us. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Don't get offended by some little statement and then it... Drive a wedge between you and the body of Christ. Be set free in 2023. Each of these areas we're going to study, we're going to give you opportunities to minister to people that need to be set free. This is what we've got to do as a church. We've got to come together in unity. We've got to be a city that's set on a hill. We've got to help people. We're not just a social club. We're not just here to network. We're 
We're here to strengthen one another. We gotta help people. We gotta help people be free from drugs, alcohol. This city is overrun with drugs. I wish I could tell you all that I knew. People come out of South Florida, they come up here and they think they can fly under the radar. I was talking to a guy the other day that works in law enforcement in South Florida. He was telling me about a big DEA thing that they were getting ready to they were getting ready to launch. And he said, "It's one mile from where we're standing right now, standing in Palm Bay." God has blessed this church over the past fifty years. Not for us to all just sit on these pews and become fat cats in the gospel. He has blessed us so that we can be a city that is set on a hill to be a light that shines in a dark place. I got a call this past week. I think it was Thursday night. I was on the phone with my wife and my best friend growing up, his wife was calling me. I hadn't heard from her in years and so... I said to Amy, I got to take this call. So I took the call and she said, David, Greg is dead. I couldn't hardly speak. Greg, my best friend growing up in this church. We're the same age, two months apart. We rode motorcycles together as kids, dirt bikes. We played football together. We, we played the drums in this church together. His mother played the piano, my mother played the organ, and both of us were drummers, or so we thought. And we were a little church of about 50 people down there on the east end of Palm Bay Road. And I can remember us having meetings, my dad, the pastor, and also my father, and trying to keep everybody happy, trying to figure out who would play on what nights and all this stuff. He finally made a decision. Both of us would play the drums at the same time. So behind the piano, Greg had his drum set. He was behind his mama playing the drums. I was over here behind my mom on the organ playing the drums. We had so many people leave that church because we had two drum sets. <laughs> I can remember people going right out the back door. Just, what in the world? Two drum sets. We grew up together. We did everything together. We terrorized Melbourne and Palm Bay together. And we got into being teenagers. And I got into Bible quizzing. And Greg started working. And as all 15-year-old boys, you get interested in girls, you know, pretty young age. And he started dating girls from school. We went to O'Galley High School together. And He'd say, David, you know, I'm going here and going there and so-and-so's got a good-looking friend and I'm like, Greg, I can't go there, you know, and I can't date girls that aren't in the church. And he's like, oh, come on, we'll have fun. And I started telling it. Greg, Greg was changing. He was, he was becoming a different guy. And his mom came to me and she said, David, if you go with Greg, I feel like he won't get into trouble because if you go with him, you'll keep him out of trouble. But I'm like, Sister, we're right. I don't belong in those parties. 
got hooked on drugs at 15 years old, raised in this church. And his wife calls me this week and says, Greg is dead. There's so many times I prayed for him. He had a good heart. He would get on track and he would do good and that vice would come back. And I look at a culture now and I see where they're legalizing marijuana and that's a gateway drug that just gets kids addicted to this stuff. The number one killer of young people between 16 and 25 is fentanyl. His wife told me, maybe you should turn off the video, I don't know. Whatever you want to do. She said, I came home and I saw him. He had gone back to crack. I don't know if it was laced with fentanyl. I don't know. But she said, I got so mad, I broke it all up. I flushed it down the toilet. I crushed his pipes. There were so many times over the year, and that devil would come back. And it would wrap its tentacles around my friend. And there were so many times that Greg could escape death. One time over in Tampa, he got... He was in a bad part of town and doing stuff he shouldn't have done. But a guy came to him in his truck and put a sawed-off shotgun on his arm and said, get out of the truck. He was going to steal his truck. Greg was a daredevil. He shoved it in the drive and went to take off. I can tell you so many stories. I can spend the rest of this day telling you stories. He shoved it in the drive and went to take off, and that guy <laughs> blew his arm half off, dangling there, blood. He's driving around with one hand trying to find a hospital, blood pouring out of his body. Finally, his friend takes over and they get him to a hospital in Tampa. They didn't live in that area, so they didn't know where to take him. They finally get him there. and He told me afterwards, he said, David, it was like I was on the ceiling. I could watch them working on me. He had lost so much blood. I guess when you lose a lot of blood, it only stays in this area to keep your vital organs going. He had lost blood everywhere. It was only his vital organs that were still there and they were working on them. And he said, I was hovering like I could watch him. I saw him working on me. And I said, Greg, God spared your life. Gave you another chance. Life is fragile. You can roll the dice, but eventually it's going to catch up with you. So many times... He'd find a way to stare death down. But in the end, sin has the final say. And I don't know what to do. I'm just being transparent as a pastor. I can't bring my best friend back growing up. But here's what God gave me Friday night. You can help somebody else. You can help somebody be free. I don't care what it costs. I told Brother Blackman, Brother Scott, whatever we got to do, we got an amazing prison ministry team. I don't care if we got to set up celebration, celebrate recovery. We got to help people with dealing with drugs. We got to help people dealing with pornography. We got to help people dealing with alcohol. We got to help people be set free in 23. It's not the will of God that people live in bondage. And there's so many times, I'm just using my friend as an example. There's so many times I, I told Greg, he lived over in Orlando, just come over, just 
just come back to church. You know what you need to do. And he would do good for a while and then he'd fall back. Folks, let me tell you something. Don't let the enemy deceive you and to think that you can beat your addictions by yourself. You cannot do it. The enemy has been around a lot longer than you. And it will destroy you. You have got to have help from God. And we have the answer. Jesus Christ will help us. He that the Son has set free is free indeed. I know I went too long. Three more minutes. Would you just step out where you're standing and come down to this altar? I want us to pray together as a body. And I know what I've said today is just the beginning of... It was what's going to be a focus for us this year, 2023. But the strength and the unity of the body is something that I think is so very, very important. If we can all come down together, I want us to pray together. I want us to recognize that we need each other. I have so much respect for these guys. Brother Greg Leonard, that was in our early service as a police officer in Palm Bay. Scott was a police officer, deputy sheriff for many years. They see the underbelly of society. If you let this guy right here get up and preach today, he could tell you better than me because God has blessed me and protected me. But if you'd let these guys that are on the streets tell you what they see every day, we live in a dark world, but God has given us the answer. He has given us the solution. What's it going to take for you to make up in your mind that you're going to turn things over to God? You can't do it by yourself, folks. I don't care who you are. You've got to have God to help you. Here's what I want us to do today. And thank you. I know I'm running late, so thank you for your patience with me. Whatever it is that you want God to set you free from, in 2023 I wonder if you would just give it over to him right now would you just tell the Lord Lord this is what I want you to do in my life in 2023 I want to be set free from this and then fill in the blank would you lift your hands and your voices now all over this building come on would you turn it over to God right now in the name of Jesus
sin. I give it to you, Jesus. I give it to you, too, Jesus. the blood. I give it to you. I leave it in this altar today. Yes, yes, in the name of Jesus. Come on, it may be a process, but it's going to start today. It's going to start right now. service I said you know the Bible says where two or three are gathered together that he would meet us there but let me say something else the Bible says that two or three can agree together it's more than just us gathering together we've got to agree together if two or three will agree together as touching any one thing they can ask in my name and it shall be done I want you to agree together right now I don't want you to pray for yourself I want you to pray for your neighbor Come on, we're going to agree together right now. I pray, God, that you would bless him or her like never before. I pray a blessing upon their home. I pray a blessing upon their family. I I pray a blessing upon their finances. I pray healing. I pray strength. Pray for one another. Pray for one another. We agree together. 
We agree together.